All right, if you have your Bibles this evening, let's go first to Romans chapter 12 and verse number 3. Romans chapter 12 and verse number 3. Our current study is uh, operating under a title, Faith Will Flourish in an Understanding Heart. Faith Will Flourish in an Understanding Heart. Now, I don't really like to talk about what happens to faith in a Un, and, and a hardened heart or a heart that doesn't understand. <laughs> but that's the problem, right? It, it will not flourish. Uh, it perhaps will not function at all in a hardened heart or a heart that doesn't understand. Now, Romans 12 and 3 tells us that um, God has given to each uh, one of us uh, the measure of faith. And we said that faith is a substance that can be measured and it's capable of releasing a spiritual force greater than any force of nature or darkness. Just some quick review here. We often think of faith in terms of a theory or a philosophy existing in the mind. Now, thoughts and thinking are key factors in the overall operation of faith, but faith is first and foremost a spiritual substance. It's something that can be measured. I don't know how many years ago I memorized Romans 12 and 3. But it's just really in the last few months that I've realized measure, something has to have dimension, weight, length, um, substance to it uh, to, uh, to be measured. And God has dealt to, distributed to, shared with every man the measure of faith. Now Romans 10 tells us that faith works in the heart. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Now, here's the part that I really want you to just consider with me again tonight as we continue to move forward. And, and the, the way the Lord showed me this was if we have a, a light in our house that's not burning, you know, in a lamp, or I use the example of a, of a floodlight on the eve of my house, um, we often look at that, well, it won't come on, so you must need to replace the bulb. And that's kind of, I mean, obviously that's what we do most of the time. But in this case, when I went to change the bulb, it wasn't the bulb. It was actually a problem with the fixture. And, and so what I want you to consider tonight is that the, the measure of faith that you've been given is like a light bulb in a fixture, uh, with your heart being the fixture. And you can have a perfectly good bulb, but if it's in a bad fixture, the bulb won't work. And so the measure of faith that we've been given is a perfectly good measure of faith. So the idea then is that perhaps the problem with our faith is not our faith at all, but the heart from which our faith resides and works. In other words, faith resides in the heart and it works from the heart. And if we're having issues with our faith producing results in our lives, we often think, and the disciples often thought, because remember the disciples kept saying, Jesus, give us more faith. And Jesus is like, you don't need more faith, <laughs> right? You don't need more faith. So a perfectly good light bulb will not work in a, in, a, in a broken fixture any more than a perfectly good measure of faith will work in a heart. And so as you start to study this out, and that's what we've been doing now for the last um, few weeks, is that Jesus had much more to say about the condition of our heart than he did about our faith. That's not to say he didn't teach on faith, 
But Jesus spent way more time uh, dealing with uh, our heart condition or the condition of our fixture than he did talking about the bulb that resides in or the faith that resides in and works from the fixture of our heart. And along those lines, on more than one occasion, Jesus pointed to a hardened heart and a lack of understanding resulting from a hardened heart as the reason why faith and the Word were not producing results in a person's life. Okay, you still with me? And so we looked at that last week and the week before out of Matthew 13. We're not going to turn back there, but what we do see is that the, the hardened heart causes a problem with understanding in the heart. And, and, and so let me just try to step away from my notes for a minute because all this is, is in me and sometimes you, it's just better for me to try to just talk out of my heart to you for a moment, okay? Clearly Jesus was trying to change the disciples' understanding. I mean, we could say it in a more general term that he was trying to change their heart. And that would be true. He came to change our hearts. And that's one of the most important things that he came to do for us is to change our hearts. But clearly Jesus was trying to change the disciples' hearts when it, when it came to their understanding. And on more than one occasion, Jesus pointed out to them that their hearts were hardened. And because their hearts were hardened, they, they were unable to understand what they needed to understand to be able to do what he called them and created them and actually needed for them to do. And then we would see it would cycle back around. And he even on one occasion he said, are your hearts still hardened? In other words, what is he what is he saying when he says, are they still hardened? He's like, something should have changed by now. Something should have, should have you know, broken loose by now. After all you've heard, after all you've experienced, after, after all you've witnessed, after all you've participated in, Jesus marveled um, that their hearts were still hardened, that their hearts hadn't changed. Now, I want to zero in then just a little more on, on what I believe Jesus meant at least in this context, by a hardened heart. He's talking about a heart, not, not so much, how do I say this? We think of somebody who's hard-hearted that, that don't care about people, that's hard-hearted and they don't, they don't want to help anybody, they're hard-hearted and you know, uh, somebody that's, that's suffering doesn't bother them, they're just numb to it, all that stuff. Okay? Th that can be a way of looking at being hard-hearted, but I don't see that in the disciples. I mean, I see them helping. I see them trying to help. I see men who walked away from their business to follow Jesus. I, I see men that sacrificed. I see men that, that uh, were willing to do what, what very few other people were willing to do. So the, the, I think the, the, the stereotypical concept of someone with a hardened heart um, doesn't necessarily apply to the disciples. But let me tell you where it does apply. It does apply in the sense that, that even though they witnessed miracles, although they witnessed and experienced supernatural things, it never changed the way their heart understood when it came to the next challenge that they faced. In other words, the, they never, I have this somewhere in my notes, they never connected, at least eventually they did, thank God. So I don't mean to, when I say never, um, throughout the earthly ministry of Jesus. Now, after they're born again, after they're filled with the Holy Spirit, we see them raising the dead. We see them bringing forth miracles and all that stuff, right? But at least during the earthly ministry of Jesus, we see 
that they never connected past tense miracles with present tense needs. And where we see this so clearly is the times that they fed large crowds of people with a little boy's lunch. They did that at least two times recorded in the Gospels. Jesus points out the two separate times that they did it. And then they get in a boat and with Jesus, and Jesus is going to take advantage of some quiet time with the disciples to do a little teaching. And he brings up the leaven of Herod, which he's talking about religious contamination that'll mess you up as far as your thinking is concerned. And they automatically get in fear about going hungry that day because nobody thought to pack a lunch. And Jesus is like, you know, how come you can't remember when we fed this many people with this much food and took up this many fragments, and then we fed this many people with this much food and took up this many fragments. In other words, notice by Jesus connecting those two things together, he was wanting those disciples to come to a place in their life where they could just put to, put to rest once and for all, they're going to eat. If it's a crowds of thousands or if it's just a few of them in a boat, that they're going to eat. And, and clearly Jesus wanted them to understand this differently. But in, you know, despite seeing these things and participating in these things and witnessing these things, how they assessed and processed the next challenging situation never changed. What, what they saw Jesus do never changed the way they understood the next crisis, the next need, the next situation. And so that is where their hearts were hardened, or we could say set, Right? You ever had your heart set on something? Right? When you get your heart set on something, it's hard to get your heart set on something else. If you have your heart set on a blue one, don't show me a red one. Right? Because your heart's set on that. And so their hearts were set in, in the way that they understood things in the way that they understood how you feed people, in the way that they understood how you get food, in the way that they understood how you know, that whole aspect of life and living worked. Jesus was trying to show them a different way. He was trying to help them understand it the way he understood it. They witnessed it. They participated in it. They ate it. Their, their hands you know, experienced it, but their understanding never shifted. So that's, that's what we're talking about here on a, on a hardened heart, okay? Let me, let me tell you what your pastor prays for you, among other things, okay? I pray, according to Ephesians 1, that God would give to this family of faith, each and every one of us, individually and collectively, a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God, amen? And that the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened, that, that, that we would know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of His glory, in the inheritance in the saints. I could go on, I'm not, but all that out of Ephesians 1. But when you consider all of the things that the Apostle Paul could have, he says, I never cease praying this for the church at Ephesus. And I believe for all the churches. When he said he never ceased praying it, meaning this was something that he prayed for them on a consistent, regular basis, this was what he prayed. And you think of all the things that he could have prayed on a consistent, regular basis, right? That he didn't because... If those folks could just have a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God and the eyes of their understanding enlightened all the other things, the stuff they needed to eat, stuff they needed to wear, stuff they needed to drive, you know, tires for their chariots, all that stuff, right? All that's included in it. 
if, if you can get the right understanding in you. Because faith will flourish in an understanding heart. But the way the disciples understood things, the way they looked at things, the way they processed, assessed and processed the information around them, it, it like put a wet blanket over this faith that they have that's greater than any force of nature um, and any power of darkness. Now, one more time, faith will flourish in an understanding heart. Your ability to understand or the way you understand determines how you assess and process what's going on around you. Connections formed, listen to this very carefully, connections formed by the way you understand create a progression of thoughts that ultimately leads you to a conclusion or a supposition. So let's talk for a moment about supposing or the derivative of supposing a supposition. Now, one of these uh, miracles of feeding a lot of people um, was wrapped up and Jesus sent the disciples over in a boat. We've looked at that passage the last three or four Wednesdays. We're not going to look at all of it. But they get out and Jesus is going to stay behind, dismiss the crowd, and then go spend some alone time with his father. And they're, you know, it's, it's late at night, it's dark out on the water, and, and now a, a storm has kicked up, a strong wind is working against them, and, and they're straining at the rowing. And so Jesus goes walking on the water, and the Bible even says that he would have passed them by. Now that's an interesting thought in and of itself right there. But we pick it up now in Mark chapter 6, verse um, 49. It says, and when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost. All right, notice that word supposed. They supposed it was a ghost and cried out. Now, last week we, we dug into that part, crying out, and it literally means they shouted against. So they're begging for their lives. This ghost is coming towards them. What they think is a ghost is coming towards them. And they're shouting at it, leave us alone, get away from us. You know, like you would shout at a dog coming after you or something like that, right? They're shouting out against it in terror. Um, you know, it's, 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 they are freaking out. And, and so, um, for they all saw him and were troubled, but immediately he talked to them and said to them, be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. Now, let's go back to the point that we made just a moment ago. Connections formed by the way you understand create a progression of thoughts that ultimately lead you to a conclusion or a supposition. Have, have you ever heard or used the expression, you're way off base? Do you understand that? You're way off base. You know, let's say somebody's got a problem, they're trying to figure it out, and maybe they're, they're doing something for you, and they can't try to figure, you know. And so you go to help them, and you look at the progress that they've made, and you're like, man, you, you're way off base. That, that's, that's not what I'm talking about. We, we need to go, you know, this way. We, we, we need to do it this way, right? So the disciples were way off base. In other words, they, they, they're thinking ghost, and it's Jesus. They're, they're thinking fear, and they, and they should have been rejoicing. They should have been celebrating. They're way off base. How did they get so far off base? Their understanding took them off base. Their, their understanding took them in a direction um, that uh, you know, was far from the answer, far from 
the solution. So connections form by the way you understand. It's, it's when one thought leads to another thought, which leads to another thought, which leads to another thought, that ultimately brings you to a conclusion. It, it ultimately brings you to a supposition. In other words, a position that you reach based upon supposing. Okay? And so the position that the disciples found themselves in was not a position of faith. It was a position of fear. How did they wind up in a position of fear? They wound up in a position of fear because they supposed Jesus to be a ghost. Why did they suppose Jesus to be a, a ghost? Because of the way they understood. Their understanding led them to that su supposition and then supposing and position combined together, right? It put them in a position of fear, of torment, of terror, not to mention danger. Their, their lives are on the line here uh, because of what's going on um, in, uh, in this uh, situation. So the, the disciples supposed Jesus was a ghost and screamed in terror against him because their understanding led them to that supposition. Now, I want to, this is the part, and, and Holy Spirit, we just thank you for helping us tonight. Thank you for helping every one of us, okay? This is, this is how the Holy Spirit is showing it to me, right? Remember, I don't know, it's been maybe three years ago now, when the simple word of the Lord to us was, my people are wanting me to do things in their lives that they're not giving me place to do. We're wondering why God's not doing this for us, and we haven't given him place in our lives to do for us what we need him to do. Okay? This, is, this, is, this is a similar word, right? We keep winding up in a place of doubt and unbelief, fear, and fear has torment, so fear and torment, and we keep wondering why we, we keep winding up in that place. It's because our understanding is carrying us to that place. It, it has to do with the way we, we assess and process what's going on around us. And so the way you understand brings you to the conclusion that is a supposed position or a supposition. Okay? So, you know I'm going to do it, right? What supposition, by definition, what is it? Watch this now. A supposition is a belief without proof or certainty. It is a belief. Think about that for a moment now. If we go back to, and I'm thankful, don't misunderstand me, the Holy Spirit and His infinite wisdom, even in, in, in the Bible translations, I am thankful that this word is translated supposed. But the same word translated supposed could have also been translated believe. In other words, it, it could have been translated um, that that they believed Jesus to be a ghost. They believed it to be a ghost because their understanding led them to that, and I'm using that term loosely, belief. In their hearts, they believed it, what was coming towards them was a ghost. So you, obviously it says supposed, but a supposition is a belief. It's a belief without proof or certainty. Well, man, we could preach a series of sermons right there, couldn't we? Because a lot of people have, you know, they'll tell you what they believe, but they don't have any proof or certainty um, about it. What is our proof? What's the evidence? What is faith? It's the, it's the evidence of things hoped for. 
right? The evidence of things not seen. The, uh, amen. Praise God. Let me get back to this. So, suppose could have been translated believe. That's how strongly connected these things are. So notice, the way they understood led them to that supposition, or we could say it another way. The way they understood it led them to believe what they believed about that situation. And they were way off base. They were way off base. Now, I mentioned this earlier, so I'll be brief here, but based on this and other passages, I think we're safe in saying that changing the disciples' understanding was a primary objective of Jesus. And I believe it remains his primary, one of his primary objectives where you and I are concerned and the Holy Spirit is working in our hearts to help us uh, with this. The way your heart understands determines the direction your reasoning leads you. And so we often desire conclusions that our reasoning will never take us to. So much of our understanding, which involves you know, reasoning, again, assessing, processing, and I'm just going to kind of act it out for you. Caleb, thank you for being diligent on the camera. I, I try not to move around as much as I used to because it's easier for the camera folks. Amen. Um, but let's just imagine for a moment um, that uh, you know, healing is that way and Sickness and death is this way. Well, we receive healing by faith and then fear has torment and carries us in this direction, right? So nobody in their right mind wants to go this way. So it's like we look towards, you know, the healing and, and faith will get us to the healing and, and by stripes we were healed, right? But the way we understand and assess and process information, it's carrying us this way. Remember what Jesus asked him. I know we've got several things kind of spread out here. This was when he was wanting to teach them about the leaven of Herod. And he said, why is it when you reason, you always come up on the short end of the stick? The way they understood, every time they processed Feeding people, it was going to cost them this much money. They didn't have enough money. If they had enough money, there's not enough grocery stores to buy that much food. And there was, notice, that's all of that is reasoning. All of that's understanding. Okay? So these guys, don't I, listen, they, a hard heart's like, these people don't need to eat. No, they let's feed them, but, but how? Right? So feeding the people was this way. Faith will get you there. Their understanding is carrying them this way towards lack and everybody going home hungry. And Jesus said some of them are so hungry that they won't make it home. They'd been out there three days listening to him teach without eating. So again, the way your heart understands is going to lead you in one direction or another. The way their, under, their hearts understood led them to suppose the figure coming towards them was a ghost. It wasn't like they put six things it could be in a hat and drew one out. Well, it could be this. Well, it could be that. Well, it could be another boat with a light. It could be. No, no. Their understanding said it's a ghost and we're dead. We're goners. Man, I, I got to move on, but I got. So the way your heart understands determines the direction your reasoning leads. We often desire conclusions our reasoning will never take us to. 
we want to believe, but the way we understand keeps quenching the fire of our faith. Thank you, Jesus. Now, we, we ended with this last week. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build on it in the time we have remaining tonight, okay? Your understanding determines your ability to conceive. And conceive means to form a mental image of something that is not present or has not yet happened. To conceive it, okay? Maybe your house isn't paid for, but you can imagine it being paid for. You can conceive. You can think about what it's going to be like when that house is paid for and you've got extra money now to do other things with. Um, and so, again, this is something that may not have yet happened, but you can at least conceive of it, okay? My heart goes out to people who are so deep in debt that they can't conceive of ever being out of it, right? And there are folks who live their lives that way. So conceive means to form a mental image of something that is not present or has not yet happened. Do you, do you, do you see now why your understanding determines your ability to conceive? Your understanding determines your ability to conceive. So let's go back to it. Your understanding determines your ability to conceive. Your understanding determines your ability to form a mental image of something that is not present or has not yet happened. Okay? And so here's the kicker. You cannot believe what you cannot conceive. You cannot believe what you cannot conceive. Remember what Jesus told us in Mark eleven twenty four. Jesus said, when you pray, believe you've already received what you ask for, and you will have whatever you ask. So you believe you have already received it before you actually take possession of it. If, if, if you can't conceive yourself healed, if you can't conceive yourself prospering, if you can't conceive yourself debt-free, how can you ever believe that you are? Thank you for that amen and that yeah, amen and yeah, praise God. All right, you still with me? Am I going too fast? All right, let's go to Hebrews 11 and 19. Hebrews 11 and 19 is talking about Abraham when God asked him to sacrifice his son Isaac. Now, there are lots of reasons why that's the case. Remember, Abraham and God were in covenant with one another. Two individuals in covenant with one another, anything that, that one asked of the other he was automatically obligating himself to do the same. So if I'm in covenant with someone and I ask them for something, I've just obligated myself at any point in the future for them to ask me to do the same for them, and I am covenantly obligated to do that for them. So when Father God asked Abraham to take his 33-year-old son, put wood on his back, and carry him up on a hill and sacrifice him, Okay, this was God obligating himself, Father obligating himself to one day put wood on his 33-year-old son's back and him going up a hill to offer him. Are you seeing this? So, you know, people thought, oh, meanie, oh God, how dare him put Abraham in that kind of position? Okay, well, again, you, you have to understand 
the bigger picture to make sense of what's happening here. But Abraham did not go to that experience in fear and trembling. He went in faith and excitement. And Hebrews eleven nineteen tells us what was going on with him. The King James Version says that he was accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead. From whence also he received him in a figure. So notice now, Abraham has not yet plunged the knife into Isaac's chest and then lit the fire and, and burned him to ashes. But before any of that has taken place, Abraham's reasoning, come on now, his understanding of God has led him to conceive of God raising Isaac from the dead. He's, he already has that mental image. This is conception. Conceive means to form a mental image of something that is not present or has not yet happened. So, you know, not only has this not yet happened, it's not present because we don't have record of anybody being raised from the dead. It's not like Abraham, like, well, you know, 17 people were raised from the dead in the last 14 years. So, no, no, nobody ever been raised from the dead before. At least that the Bible reveals. Accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence he also received him in a figure. Now, I want to give it to you in two more translations. Here's the Amplified. Listen to this. For Abraham reasoned that God was able to raise him up even from among the dead. Indeed, in the sense that Isaac was figuratively dead, potentially sacrificed, he did actually receive him back from the dead. In other words, in Abraham's mind, Isaac was already dead and already raised from the dead. The Passion Translation. Abraham's faith made it logical to him that God could raise Isaac from the dead and symbolically, that's exactly what happened. His faith made it logical to him. Man, that phrase right there. See, the disciples' faith did not make it logical to them that Jesus could walk on water. This is, this is what Jesus meant um, when he uh, uh, you know, uh, said to them, where's the verse? It's in my notes. Um, that they did not understand because their hearts, their hearts were hardened. They did not understand um, here it is. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Mark 6, 52. For they... What am I doing? Here we go. Mark 6, 52. Why will that not come up there? For they had not understood about the loaves because their heart was hardened. So you think, what about the loaves? What, what about the loaves, according to Jesus, should have made them understand about him walking on water? And, and, and we find it here in the Passion Translation of Hebrews 11 and uh, 19. Abraham's faith made it logical to him that God could raise Isaac from the dead. What am I saying? What's, what is the Word of God saying? The miracle of the loaves should have made it logical to the disciples, that Jesus could walk on water. I'm stretching it, I know, but it should have made it logical that they could walk on water. 
compare made it logical to him that God could raise Isaac from the dead to they supposed it was a ghost and cried out. Can I tell you, and I've, I've, never, I've never said this before, I've never understood this before, but I came, I became convinced of this really, really, really fast. Okay? I believe the key to Abraham's great faith was his understanding heart. Okay? Now watch this. I know, I know that you know, folks may disagree. That's okay. Seek it out. Search it out. Pray about it. If God has dealt to every man the measure of faith, that means he dealt to Abraham the same measure of faith he dealt to me and you. Why is Abraham the father of all who believe? Why is he this example of faith? Was it because God gave him more faith than he gave you? I don't believe so. I believe the difference between Abraham's faith and a whole lot of other people's is Abraham's understanding heart. Abraham did not suppose it impossible for him and Sarah to have a child even though they were well past the age and Sarah was unable to conceive in her 20s. And we got all kinds of verses on this. We'll look at them next week. Stand with me. We'll look at them next week. It was an understanding heart. Let me, for some reason, it's like when it's time to end, I want to just give you 15 more things, okay? Let me, let me give you, let me just plant something to think about here. And this is, you remember that centurion that came to Jesus? You remember him? The one Jesus said, I haven't seen so great a faith, no, not in all of Israel. It was understanding that made that man's faith great. He didn't, that man, that centurion didn't say a word about faith. He didn't say nothing about believing. He didn't say nothing about, oh, Jesus, I've put my faith in. None, he didn't use any of those words. But after it was over with, Jesus says, what you believed is done for you now. You can go your way. Okay? Why was that man's faith as pointed out as Jesus as being so great, it was because of what that man understood. It was because of how that... See, that man looked at it different than other people looked at it. He understood it from a position of, um, of authority. And he said, you know, I tell a man to go and he goes, come and he comes. Jesus, you tell leprosy to go and it goes. You tell demons to go and they go. You tell gold to come to you and it comes. So there's no need for you to come to my house. <laughs> See, it was an understanding heart that caused, you ready for it? This man's faith to flourish. Amen. Father, you're so good to us. Thank you for helping us. Thank you for teaching us, Lord. Thank you, Father, for making us aware of our understanding. Thank you, Father, for helping us, as the saying goes, think about not just what we're thinking about, but to think about the way our, our mind sometimes carries us way off base, pulls us in a direction away from faith and towards fear. Father, thank you for this week and for what this 
week means to your people, Lord, all over the world. Thank you for what Jesus did for us, Jesus. Thank you for, for obeying your Father. Father, thank you for sending Jesus. And Jesus, thank you for being willing to come and do. Holy Spirit, thank you for helping Jesus and now helping us. Thank you for including us. You could have left us out, but you didn't. And so, Father, we just thank you that this Easter Sunday is going to be the greatest in all of our years together. Father, thank you that you're going to be exalted and people are going to be drawn to you. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Praise God. You're loved if nobody's told you that today. Thank you so much for being here this evening, for joining us online. Tell somebody around you, good things coming.